are now tuned into another episode of the Sales Development Podcast, powered by Tenbound, hosted by David Delaney. My name is James Bodden, and today's guest for episode 196 is Wayne Maloney, sales coach, trainer, and author of The Wentworth Prospect. Wayne kicks off this episode by sharing his journey from the corporate world to the sales consulting and training world. Super interesting story about how he made that transition. David and Wayne go on to discuss the concept and framework behind Wayne's novel, The Wentworth Prospect, of incredibly detailed and interesting way to look at business-to-business sales books. Wayne explains the framework behind the book, the value of the tactical process that's detailed in the book that sometimes, quite honestly, is left out of many B2B sales books. At the 20-minute mark, David asks Wayne about the motivating factors he had behind leaving the corporate safety net and going out on his own. Anybody who's thinking about maybe making that jump, hearing Wayne's story is very valuable. Wayne and David then go on to talk about Wayne's mindset and how it's changed over the years as a business owner and the things that he was worried about 10 years ago as opposed to the things that he's worried about today, as well as what's next for Wayne. This episode really sheds a light on somebody who's bringing creativity, a new way to look at business-to-business sales books. And if you enjoy this episode, don't forget to leave us a rating. Head over to tenbound.com and enjoy episode 196 of the Sales Development Podcast powered by Tenbound featuring Wayne Maloney, author of The Wentworth Prospect. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I am joined today by a new friend of mine, Wayne Maloney, sales coach and trainer from our land down under, who just released a new book that I want to dive into called The Wentworth Prospect. Wayne, how are you doing today? Great. Thanks, David. And yourself? Oh, I'm too good to be legal, man. (laughs) Great. Thanks for having me on, David. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, I'm so excited to dive in. You know, You've got a tremendous amount of experience in working with B2B sales teams and in sales yourself, multiple continents over the course of the years. And now you've just put it into this new book. Wayne, if folks aren't familiar with the work that you've been doing and your sales training and coaching endeavors, how did you get involved in this? And you know what brings you up to this point? Oh, look, David, if this was on video, mate, people would see the gray hair and know that I've been in the industry and been around for quite a while. But look, I jumped off the corporate treadmill probably about 15 years ago and decided I wanted to spend more time with the family. And I started sales consulting, working largely with organizations on implementing lean strategies into their sales. And I'd written two books, which were basic handbooks on sales and sales management. And I always wanted to write a book on what my passion was in selling, and that was complex sales. And I approached a good friend of mine, John Smybert, and we'd collaborated on building a sales process uh, to help John on the work he did with that. And he jumped at the idea of writing the book. And then another good friend of ours who's right into storytelling, Mike Adams, he suggested we write a novel. And we decided that, yeah, that would be a great way to approach it. People really 
they hang on to stories much more than they do just textbook type stuff. So we decided we'd start with that. And we very quickly realized that we might be good sales trainers and sales consultants, but we're definitely not novelists. And fortunately, I had a good friend who was, and he was also a very successful businessman in the past. And he jumped on board and helped turn our guy called Jeff Clulo. And he helped turn our uh, our technical side into a good story. So uh, that's where we started. Mate. That's how we got to it. I love it. And we were talking about this, you know, in a novel format, it really draws you into the story versus the typical, you know, business book that's very, you know, dry and sort of almost like a checklist of things that you're supposed to do. So tell us, you know, what's the overall kind of framework that you're hanging the story on? And then how does it play out within the book? That's a good question. And you're really right about that. You know, some of the sales books that are out there, as you say, they're quite dry and it's a bit of do this and this and this. And what they lack is the human side of that. You know, it might be great for someone to teach someone how to prospect, but you don't bring the human side into it. And what we've done with the book or what Jeff's done in the way he's woven this story in is he's bought on all of the human aspect of it. So we bring in the politics that play out. We bring in the different personalities and characteristics of the individuals that people meet, those that are going to be allies to the person trying to make the sale, the champion, as we call them, right through to those that are going to be roadblocks for them. We do it by building it around a sales process called Advance. And we walk the hero of the story, a girl called Sue, through that process as she looks to close a large cybersecurity project within a major investment bank. And as I say, we get the twists and turns, the politics, and try and show at each step of that process as they walk through how that aligns with what will happen in the buyer side and what politics might play out and where those roadblocks might be. So rather than just the steps of the ladder, you know, we look at where those steps might be missing or where those ladder steps might have fractures in them and what you need to do to get around that. Got it. Okay. So, and Sue is, you know, her touchstone throughout the sales process is the advanced framework. So she's kind of using that framework, but then taking it out into the real world and encountering the things that come up in a real sales process. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Just you know, without giving too much away, because you know, I really would love people to buy the book and you know, being a good novel, you don't want to give too much away and, and spoil the ending because there are some twists and turns in it. But right at the start of the book, Sue, who's, you know, I guess you'd call her a fledgling salesperson, her mentor, who's her sales manager at the time, he actually gets killed off in the first chapter. And he'd written a manuscript that described this advanced process And she discovers this manuscript, and then she uses that to work herself through the process of closing this deal within the bank. So yeah, it's quite engaging. Got it. Okay. And the advanced framework, or is that the sales process that you work on with your clients? Yeah, it is, mate. What we're looking at there is the E stands for engage. And that's everything that you do at the start of a sales process to to draw the client in, I guess, or to at least create a sense of value within yourself. So it's about personal profiling, all the things you do before you actually touch base with the client. 
and then what you need to do to actually break through and actually make that initial contact with the client. So we talk about how she goes through that. The D is discover and disrupt. So we talk very much a lot in the book and a large chunk of the book is about this because we believe that discovery is one of the most important things, if not the most important things in any sales process. You need to understand the client's business. You need to understand what sort of value outcomes they're looking for. And you need to do this by getting down in the trenches with the client and really understanding the issues that they're facing. And you need to be a domain expert and understand their industry so you can take them on a thinking journey through to what a positive, valuable outcome would be for them. And that may be disrupting the way they're doing business at the time. There's a friend of mine up in Canada, Paul Watts, and he says that disruption is coming to me with a problem I didn't know I have and delivering a solution I didn't know I needed. And the only way you can do that is by getting down and dirty with these clients. And then the V is the value creation. Once you've gone through that thinking journey, how do you create that value? And then you'll need the client to authenticate that. They need to prove to themselves the value in their business and how you go about that. And then, of course, the final stage is a negotiation and, you know, that side of it is pretty straightforward. And then going through to uh, actually enacting and putting everything in place. So that's sort of our engaged process. But we walk through that process. And at each of those steps, David, what sort of roadblock she's going to find with the client as she goes through that. Right. And I think it was Mike Tyson said, you know, everyone's got a great plan until they get punched in the face, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> That's so, great. Yeah, I'll have to remember that. I'm a really strong advocate of planning. And, <laughs> you know, I talk with clients about plans and the fact that you need to be, you know, I hate the term agile. It's been so cliched these days, but it was a term I used before it was cliched. With any planning, you need to be agile and you need to be flexible because what happens in the market and what happens with your competitors and what happens within the prospects you're working with, especially long-term sales, they're going to change and you need to be able to make those changes along the way. So your strategy mightn't change, but your tactics definitely need to be flexible and change along the way. Big time. But you need that. You need a framework, the overall framework to start with and then build off of in the actual, you know, what's happening in the deal as you move forward. And I just want to mention advance. It starts with an E just so everybody knows. And I'm on yeah. advance.sale forward slash the dash book. Yeah. Well, if they it. just go to advance.sale and they'll find everything about the book and about our process on there. But what we do with the book is you can't get away from needing to teach people the technical aspect. The novel is a great way for them to understand the process and to understand that it's not linear that there will be things that happen, that there are personalities and individual characteristics of people that are going to get in your way. But what we do is throughout the book, we actually provide QR codes or links back to the website. And at each step, it will take them to the individual section of our process and describe in technical detail what it means and how those process and methodologies have been applied by Sue throughout the book. 
Okay, great. So they can follow along and then get the technical background of it. And then, you know, obviously engage with you if they could potentially bring this into their organization. In the different stages of the advanced cycle, where do you see salespeople needing the most help in your practice? Yeah. The first thing is actually having a sales process. Okay. <laughs> it's right. surprising. And, you know, I've been in the industry now for well, longer than I like to admit, but, you know, close to four decades. And I still see businesses, even big businesses, that don't follow sales processes. They might put them in place, but they then complicate them and they look for information that's not really going to help the salesperson actually do the selling. They get bogged down with administration. So the first thing is actually having a practical sales process that the salesperson sees will help them move through each individual step, opening one gate and closing the other gate behind them and making that progress through the sale. So that's the first thing. The other thing is the discover and disrupt side of things because all too often salespeople, David, are too focused on their product, their service, or just the solution. And they're not focused enough on the outcome for each individual client. And the outcome for each individual client may be different. As I said a bit earlier, I'm a really strong advocate of the lean principles and applying them to sales. And one of the basic principles of lean is value. And the only person that can define value is the customer. You know, it's great for a business to say, oh, look, this is our value proposition, but that comes from the supplier side of things. It doesn't come from the customer side of things. And the customer's value is not necessarily going to be the same for each one. So the salesperson needs to be, one, a domain expert in the area that they're working, and two, they need to be able to ask the sort of questions and get involved in the business as a, and again, a cliche term, but as a trusted advisor to be able to earn a seat at the table, to be able to work through that discovery with the client, to challenge them on the way they're doing business, to ask the why is it so questions and to ask the what if you did it this way questions so that the client can go through that thinking journey and position them to basically come up with their own preferred outcome, which is something that you can solve. Salespeople, they're nervous about challenging the customer. They don't want to challenge the status quo, you know, to quote a couple of other sales processes out there. But, you know, you've got to be prepared to go in there and disrupt the way they're thinking, disrupt their business so that they come up with a better outcome. I mean, you know, if you're not going to change the way they're doing business, they might as well just keep doing the things that they're doing. And where's the opportunity for a salesperson to deliver a better outcome in doing that? And it could be, you know, because we're primarily in the tech industry, for folks who are newer to sales and now they're selling this technical, you know, software product, for example, to a very experienced buyer. I see that too. The discovery process is either missing or they just kind of blow through it so that they can start showing all the cool stuff that their technology does. Do you feel like they're nervous to have that conversation because they're just inexperienced in sales? Look, I think there's a couple of things there. Number one, yes, because they're inexperienced at sales. But number two, businesses don't actually invest enough time in training their salespeople on selling. 
you know, they bring a salesperson on, be them a young person who's just breaking in or be them a, you know, a more mature salesperson, they still don't spend enough time in developing that person. And I think one of the weak links there is actual sales management because they're not trained well enough on how to coach their sales team. So I think that's a real missing link as far as, or the weak link, if you like, as far as sales is concerned. The other side of it is companies tend to invest more in teaching the product, and that's because they believe that they've got to go out and still show how their product is differentiated from the competitor, whereas that's really not the case. The customer's not interested or the prospect's not interested necessarily on how you differentiate from the competition. What they're interested in is the outcome. Now, I'll give you a little story on that, and it goes back a long way, David, but I'm a mechanical engineer by profession, and I soon learned that the engineering side of it wasn't what I really wanted to do. I was much more interested in the business. So I moved into a contracts role, and then I moved into a sales role in business development, and I was actually recruited into a data communications company, and I didn't know anything about data comms at the time. And I've since spent a lot of time in ICT. But what I actually discovered was if I tried to understand the product and the technicality of the product, all I was doing was repeating what was on a brochure effectively. But what I did was I understood how it fitted into a customer's business. And I was actually told by a computer users group who brought me in as a guest of honor when I was leaving that state. And they basically said, look, when Wayne came up here, we were all worried that he didn't know anything about data communications. Well, here I am 12 months later to tell you we've now confirmed he knows nothing about data <laughs> communications, but what he really knows is how it applies to our business. And that's a refreshing change to what we've had in the past. So it's about understanding the application and about understanding how that can make a difference in a client's organization. Of course, you've got to know the limitations of your product. And of course, you've got to know when to walk away and there's not a real opportunity, but it's more about the business than it is about the product. And you know, that old cliched saying, again, I've used that term a few times, it's more important how you sell than what you sell. And I think that's becoming more and more critical as clients are into a position now where they can find out so much more online. And the salesperson's job is not so much bringing information to them, but helping them make sense of that tsunami of information that's out there and how that would apply to their business. It starts with really digging in. So I feel like, you know, the takeaway for maybe folks who are a little bit less experienced is dig in on the discovery part, get great at discovery, you know, and gathering that information in a way that makes sense for the client and then being able to move that forward with the value. Like yeah. that seems like it would be the, a good place to really focus. Yeah, David, I totally agree with that. And you need to be in a position where, yeah, when I say disrupt and challenge, you don't do that in an arrogant way. You don't do it by saying, oh God, look at what you're doing. That's really stupid. <laughs> it's a case of actually sitting down there and going through. And as I say, asking those what if questions, what if this happened? What if you did this? What if you did that way? What would be the result? What would change? And do it in a way that you can then put together an outcome for the client 
that they would look at and go, wow, I actually value that. I see that's going to deliver me really good opportunity. I love that. Okay. So we're going to dive in. I've got the Amazon, you know, book. It's up for sale from yesterday, right? Yeah, it is. It's up as a print book. It's up as a ebook and it's up as an audio book. Okay. I cannot wait to dive in. Like I said, I love the novel approach to this because the regular business books get a little dry. Wayne, you mentioned something. I just want to dig in on a little bit. So you said that you were on the corporate treadmill for a number of years and then you were independent. And I'm curious about that because the corporate life, you know, has a lot to offer, right? You've got your regular paycheck every two weeks and you got your benefits and, you know, you can tell everybody that you're gainfully employed. And then to jump to an independent, you know, consultant, yeah, that's a big, big change. So what are your thoughts on that process? And, you know, <laughs> was it a good idea? <laughs> it's a really difficult question to answer. If I had my time again, like there's been some personal issues for me. I've had some health issues through the time. And that obviously impacts on when I look at it and say, would I do the same thing again? Because of the health issues, I may not have been able to continue in corporate. But let's put that aside and say what happened. I was spending, as I said, I'd worked and run businesses in Europe, Asia, and Australia. And when I'd moved back to Australia, I had such a strong reputation up in Asia. I was still doing a lot of work up there, particularly in China. And I was spending 120 to 150 days a year traveling. I had a young family and I really, I'd missed so much of my daughter's lives. I didn't want to do the same thing with my son. So jumping off that treadmill and being able to work my own hours, even though I was still traveling into Asia, but nowhere near as much as I had been previously, and spend more time with the family, that was great. But that corporate life and the travel, it's like a drug, David. It took me 12 months of withdrawal before I actually felt comfortable because I was missing jumping on that plane and going over and, you know, working in those foreign lands. But I've really enjoyed it. And I guess now as my kids have grown up and left, it's probably gone full circle. And I'm now saying, well, that'd be a time where I could do it. But It's been good. It was a real challenge at the start. Anyone doing it, the thing that I would say is pick your area of expertise and focus on that. Don't try and be too general in what you do. Make sure you focus on that expertise that you've got. And again, make sure that you're delivering value to the clients. I use that term a lot, that value, but make sure you're delivering that value to the clients and know when to walk away from them. And that's when it's really hard when you're a consultant, when you're independent, to walk away from an opportunity because you really believe that you're not the right person to solve it or they're not the right client for you. But as you say, when you're not getting that regular paycheck, to walk away from an opportunity like that is difficult. But in the long run, it's something that you really need to do. It really is interesting because I feel like the mindset goes from Am I, you know, towing the line because it's almost like you're spending time and showing up and being involved in the corporate life to everything that I do has to produce value. And especially at the beginning, right? It's immediately like I've got to build people in order to survive. And then all of a sudden, I think it seems like over the years, your whole mindset shifts to 
I have to produce value. I can't just punch a clock, it seems. Yeah. And look, the other thing on that is making sure that you, and again, when you first start out, you look at all your expenses and you try and minimize those. So you end up doing administrative type things that you shouldn't be doing because it's not real value. You're not putting your time into where you can deliver the most value and where that time can be of most value to you. So, you know, I built up around me a team of people that I could bring into clients that I work with. I've got a guy that I work with that's a HR specialist. I've got a guy that I work with who's a digital marketing specialist. So that, you know, if I see those sort of needs with clients that I work with, I can bring those people in and they can add further value to the client and they can also, you know, help me in building a better relationship with the client. And the other thing is these days being able to use virtual assistants and, you know, because I'd spent so much time up in in Asia and Philippines as well as China, I was able to build a good relationship with a couple of people that worked as virtual assistants for me. And that relieved a hell of a lot of the pressure. And as they got to know me better and I got to know them and I trusted them more and I was able to offload a lot of things to them, which meant that I could be spending much more time doing the things that delivered value to my clients and value to my business. That's so important. And I think that's another mind shift because when you go through school and then you join the corporate world, it's all about what you're doing. You can't necessarily delegate because they're expecting you to do it yourself, you know, and then to shift where there's only a few things that you do that really produce the most value. And there's a lot of stuff that you shouldn't be doing. I think it takes a couple of years to figure out, okay, I need to sort of offload some of this to somebody else because you're trying to do everything yourself. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.